Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Wednesday, August 3rd, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I was going over the archives, and I think it's been about three weeks since I have spieled about, really talked about anything other than politics, conventions, brawls with gold star families, baby ejection from rally. How could you not, right? But it happened. Today it happened. There was news that demanded my attention that had nothing to do with Donald or Hillary. I speak of flossing. Back now with what might be the most controversial news of the day. It has people divided on social media, some saying, I told you so, others saying, that's gross. It's a report that says, despite what we've been told for decades, flossing your teeth might not even work. And the evidence for it is weak and very unreliable. So flossing might not be good for you. I am, like you, I suppose, constantly whipsawed by what the government says we should or shouldn't do. Use sunscreen, don't use sunscreen. Good to eat, milk and butter. Bad to eat, carbs and meat. Some of the recommendations seem nuts, like how much nuts to eat. And you ever notice how anything with the tiniest bit of citrus gives you 7,000% of the vitamin C you need? I'm thinking that daily recommended allowance of that particular thing might be low. And I am going to stick with flossing. Here's why. I do not need a double-blind, peer-reviewed study to tell me this. Sometimes I have shredded chicken in my teeth. And then I floss. And this might astound the scientists. Afterwards, I no longer have pieces of shredded chicken in my teeth. Also works with beef and carnitas. So maybe the government will say, Look, there's no proof that walking around with carnitas in your teeth is bad. But then you're the kind of guy who's walking around with carnitas in your teeth. And I would rather be in the group without the carnitas than the group with the carnitas. I don't need a study to tell me without chicken in the teeth versus with chicken in the teeth. It's not magic. We're not talking about the healing power of crystals or auras or feng shui or the secret. It's about bits of food that were in your teeth, and now they aren't because you dislodged them with a thin string. Maybe I'm overthinking this. I mean, I'm sure there is also no government-approved study that tells me to wipe the particles of cake off the corner of my mouth after a birthday party, or when I dip my nose in the latte to take a sip and then emerge and then have a little piece of foam on my nose— I wipe it away, even though no scientific study tells me to do that. But what do I know, right? Maybe I am an elitist, a non-chicken-in-teeth, non-foam-on-nose elitist. I am perhaps a hopeless fancy pants. And you know why the pants stay so fancy? Well, it's another activity the government can't find any good evidence for. But between you, me, and Mr. Whipple, I think we know the real truth. On the show today, I spiel about some other disgusting things, the Olympics. But first, how are you going to get that stuff in your teeth in the first place? It could be grilling. But is it good for you? 
Is it bad for you? Are there any government-approved studies to indicate either way? We'll find out as Maria Konnikova joins us for The Deleterious Effects of Grilling. Is that bullshit? This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. You've heard me talk about The Jordan Harbinger Show because it's one of my favorites. He does in-depth interviews with some of the world's most fascinating minds. I can name a few. Barbara Boxer, Anderson Cooper, Michael McFall, the Ukraine or Russia ambassador talking about Ukraine. One I recently listened to was Stanley McChrystal, the general, the former general. And he told uh, an interesting story about revering Robert E. Lee. But then, after having a portrait of him for 40 years, he's a 63-year-old man throwing it in the trash. Because his wife says, you know, what that picture and that man means to you, it doesn't mean to other people, and you have to understand that. And then in the interview, they got around to the point where McChrystal talked about that interview in Rolling Stone magazine that pretty much ended his career, where I uh, got to the desk of Barack Obama, and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort and just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter and not to wallow in. He could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter or the president at that point, but he didn't. It was just an overall good interview. It was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way or discovering a little mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, like the first three letters in hard, B-I-N-G-E, as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Summer's here, and that means kittens are at their least fluffy. The fillies have fallen out of contention, and the steaks are on the barbie. But just one of those things can be said to be deadly. Yes, the Phillies. No, it's the steaks part. I don't know, not deadly in the short term. Deadly, depending on your meat intake for us individually in the long term, but maybe for the planet, there is the claim that grilling releases, I don't know, something that ain't good for us. And whenever I'm saying, I don't know, I turn to an expert and her name is Maria Konnikova. She is the author of The Confidence Game. She guides us through the world of that which is and isn't bullshit. Hello, Maria. Hello, Mike. So we're going to talk about grilling. Cool? Absolutely. Hot. Right. Hot. Uh so I, I didn't know that people claim that grilling is bad for you other than the production of cattle, the eating of red meat. I didn't know the actual putting something on a barbecue and putting fire under it was supposed to be bad for the planet. What's the claim? Who says it's bad for the planet? How is it bad for the planet? Well, haven't you heard everything causes cancer? Yes. <laughs> Um, no, there are actually there are actually two claims. They have to do with a substance that's known as PAH or polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. Wait, PAH? Yeah, polycyclic. So polycyclic is the P. Yeah. Aromatic. Aromatic is the A, yeah. and hydrocarbons is the H. Now, if you just branded them as aromatics, people would like them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so there are there are two things that are going on. First, you have you know the combustion that happens from wood smoke, from charcoal smoke, yes. basically from any sort of smoke, and this releases PAHs mm -hmm. into. It's a mouthful. PAHs. They yeah. should have gotten a, a better acronym. Ha. Pause. It yep. releases pause, me pause. Into, yes. <laughs> into the environment. And then 
there's the more direct eating claim that the char that forms mm-hmm. on your steaks, on your fish, on whatever it is that you're grilling, that when you ingest it and you're ingesting these paws, ah. that it's actually potentially bad for you and that potentially. it might potentially potentially bad for you and that potentially causes cancer. I'm, I'm trying to do a cancer with an ah, it's not working. <laughs> yeah. And that clamus has actually been around for a while, since at least the 1960s, when researchers noticed that people in certain parts of the world had higher rates of stomach cancer. The grilling parts of the world? Well, the parts of the world that like to smoke things. Okay. So, so Russia... Some of the some of those Nordic countries that mm. have a lot of smoked fish, yeah. Japan. Your sturgeon belt, if you yes, will. your your sturgeon <laughs> belt and Japan. That's where those claims originated, um, and then the smoke mm-hmm. that's been around for a long time because we know that when things are smoky, particles are in the air. Um, what we didn't know was whether they were bad or not. But one thing I will say right away is that long before, you know, people were wondering what the health effects of barbecue might be, the smoke was originating in volcanoes, oh. forest fires. Yeah. I mean, these things are in the environment naturally. They're being released all the time. They might not without be grilling. even if they're in the yes, environment. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So let's talk. Let's take them one by one. The atmospheric uh, effects of the pause. That can't be great. Got a big yeah. fire, got a lot of charcoal. I hear in Africa, all these charcoal fires ain't great. But what about all throughout the backyards of Lubbock, Texas? Well, so it ends up that it's probably not that great to breathe this stuff in. Mm-hmm. So there have been some studies that look to see, you know, do we actually ingest this stuff? And it it does appear that we do breathe it in. And that it might have bad effects, especially if you're pregnant. Yeah. That women who inhale a lot of smoke, um, not from smoking, although these are released from tobacco as well, mm-hmm. but just from, from being around wood fires. And especially so we're talking about, we're not talking about going to a summer barbecue. We're talking about being exposed to this um, over the long term. So like especially working in a barbecue. Working, yeah. Pit. Yeah, for instance, okay. occupational hazards. Yes. There have been some prenatal studies that show that there might be risks of lower birth weight mm-hmm. um, to your baby, which is not good, and um, some other complications. So it might be linked to lower IQ. There are lots of things that might happen if you get some of these environmental But it pollutants. has to be constant. It's not going to even one or two or three barbecuing twice a week? I don't think the study had people barbecue twice a week versus a different number of times, but it does have to be pretty extreme. So there was one study that was done in Poland, and they followed 432 women. Did they ask their permission? Yes, of course. Yes, Yes, they weren't stalking them. (laughs) They were just walking walking around after them. None of them were smokers. Uh Um, None of them had any chronic diseases. And then they looked at basically how often and how many PAHs they were exposed to during their second trimester of pregnancy. And so they found that as you were exposed to more, it did lead to risks of prenatal complications. All right. That's bad, but it seems like a pretty definitive answer to that. So, so yes, it does seem that breathing this stuff in 
ain't great. Right. Um, I wouldn't think that breathing smoke in would be great. I no. don't even when people barbecue, I don't see them standing over the barbecue, right. huffing it in. Exactly. And and you have to think about, you know, what's the concentration mm-hmm. and how far is it spreading? And is our real risk really barbecuing or is it more things like living in an area where there are lots of forest fires um where that presumably gets carried in the air? Much in, in over much greater distances with much gra- greater likelihood. I or mean, set or setting up a homestead in the lip of an active volcano. Right. I was going to say that if you lived in Pompeii, probably PAHs were the least of your worries. Yeah. But before you got killed by the lava, maybe your lungs weren't doing that well. <laughs> yes, but both are high, highly correlative to uh, morbidity. Actually. Mm, yes. yes. Yes, they are indeed. All right. Now let's move on to the char. Mm. We've so, talked the coal. Now let's talk yeah. the char. So people love to talk about the risks of different types of foods and cancer. Mm-hmm. And you and I have even talked about a study before about smoked meats and cancer. Yeah. Remember that, that there have been that, – That crazy UN study which right. essentially said it's a carcinogen because everything they've ever studied exactly. has been a carcinogen. <laughs> and that's not an exaggeration, right? Exactly. So, yeah. so I read a review of the human health effects of PAHs and – it turns out, first of all, that grilling doesn't necessarily cause PAHs to form. Mm-hmm. There has to be fat present. Um, and so if fat drips on the coals and then it gets back up, then oh. you end up, you end up getting it on the food. But if like vegetables and fruit don't form them, even though you're grilling them oh. and meat that has had its fat cut off doesn't form it and meat that's been marinated doesn't form it. So so that's that's part of it first. So it's not we're not talking about all grilled meat. It's only the meat that's fatty and that's fatty dripping. meat. Yes. Yeah, fatty meat that's dripping over the kind that my friend Dan Pashman would be would argue is most delicious. <laughs> I, I eat lean meat. And that it has to be cooked over a high heat so mm-hmm. that that char actually forms. And unfortunately there hasn't really been any good work in humans that looks at digestible PAHs. So they've done some stuff with mice where they've basically put I'm not sure what the equivalent would be in steaks of the amount of PAHs that a little you, mouse steak that you give into these <laughs> that you give to these mice. I think I have that book. If you feed a mouse a steak, <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. I think it's the equivalent of if you feed a mouse hundreds of steaks, yeah. then they're going to get some cancers. Well, I'll tell you, if you had to be a lab mouse with all the things they do mm. for lab mice, you know, injecting them with things, yeah. shaving them, giving them different uh, radiation, the Porterhouse after porterhouse a night. That's an okay. It's an okay way to go, especially if it's really well charred. Yeah, that char. That's that, right. That's good. It's I know really many tasty. a Midwesterner who'd sign up for that yeah. experiment. Now I know that there are some some nutritionists who would get uh, very mad at me right now and would say, "No, we know this is really bad." Mm-hmm. And listen, there have been there's been some suggestive evidence that yeah, this probably is not the best thing for you. But I simply don't see yet. That there's a direct causal link. We just don't, we don't have that data. Plus, once again, you have to be really careful with any nutrition studies when you're talking about animals and then trying to make it work for humans because you have to then figure out, you know, the body weight of us and a, and a mouse are very different. Yeah. How many of these things are there actually on meat versus What's the concentration that the mice are getting? How often do you eat charred meat? I mean, are you eating it every single day? Probably not. 
Well, one thing I would do if if I had to help them design the study, I would maybe not do it with mice. They are physiologically different from humans, but you know, pigs are very similar. Mm. So I'd I'd do the study with pigs, and then afterward, I'd feed the pigs who had the charred meat to the human, Mm. and that would be the best way to see the effects of human. Or it would just be freaking delicious. Mm, It probably would be. Let's go through these claims one by one. The atmospheric effect of the PAHs that often comes from grilling, ingesting that that's bad for you. Is that bullshit? Um, It's not bullshit um, when it comes to breathing it in and getting it in your lungs. Um, But once again, grilling is not your biggest concern. Now, eating a charred piece of meat, that's especially bad for you. Is that bullshit? For now, that's bullshit. And you know what? In 20 years, we might find out that this is like the early years with tobacco. Yeah. Where there were some suggestive links. Yeah, it'll turn out Mike Pence wrote an op-ed saying, eat a charred piece of meat. Exactly, exactly. So I don't know. But as of today... Eat a um, charred Trump steak. (laughs) (laughs) But as of today, we don't have the evidence to say that that's particularly bad for you. What I would do is just avoid being in an occupation where you're breathing in smoke all the time. Yeah. And if you're pregnant, I probably would not have a daily barbecue. Yeah. Maybe some pregnancy yoga, maybe a birthing class, mm-hmm. maybe a pregnant lady jazzercise. Just not ingesting of the barbecue. Don't put that on the pregnancy schedule. Yes. All right. Excellent advice. Maria Konnikova is the author of The Confidence Game. She comes by to tell us what is and isn't bullshit. Thanks so much, Maria. Thanks, Mike. And now the spiel. The Olympic motto is Sitius Altius Fortius. These words mean faster, higher, stronger. But in the lead up to Rio, anxieties have never been Altius. Some athletes fearing Zika couldn't bow out Sitius as concerns much Fortius than usual have abounded. Now it might be tempting to write off the current concerns as nothing but Olympic tradition. As proud as the parade of nations. It's the parade of worries. And now, leading the crime delegation into the stadium is Pedro, a flavella-dwelling would-be murderer. Tourists watch out for Pedro. And now, wearing their trademark rags, designed by Carlos Mielia, it's the street urchins. Oh, so glorious the urchins expect to meddle in pickpocketing and harassment. But this is not just the garden-variety perennial Olympic concerns. Normally, I would be the sort of guy dismissing perennial concerns as overblown fear-mongering. But in Rio, I don't think the concerns are overblown. Like the job turned in by the International Olympic Committee, the word to describe them is blown. Let's tick through some of the problematicities specific to Rio, apart from the usual stuff, like I'm a rich American tourist traveling to a developing country. Yeah, things are going to be different from what you're used to. Also, I'm a journalist in town three days before the games that I have to cover start. I need to mock my accommodations on social media. Yeah, we're going to price that into the equation. But what I want to do is set expectations, as with a medal count, for some of the things that could be set, probably will be set, the Rio Olympics. The first is crime. Brazilian cities lead, well, really trail this hemisphere in murderousness. But Rio is actually not one of the deadlier Brazilian cities. With a murder rate reported as anywhere from 18 to 35 per 100,000, Rio is as unsafe as the unsafest American city, like a St. Louis or 
if you take the scarier estimate, it's as unsafe as one of the deadlier parts of a fairly deadly city like Compton, California. Of course, rich tourists are targets. On the other hand, there will be more police per square mile in areas where tourists go. On the third hand, and this event here is like the double skulls, lots of hands. On the third hand, an American tourist was stabbed to death during the Beijing Olympics, and Beijing has extremely low crime. So the Olympics might invite attack. And if it does, here's the fourth hand. There are reports that security screeners being paid $9 a day are not being sufficiently trained. So I would say Rio gets a gold if there are no murders of visitors. But I fear Rio will not get the gold. Next, let's turn to polluted water. It is filthy. Lots of fecal matter. Even the AP reports more fecal matter than Brazil allows. And apparently, Brazil isn't exactly riding herd on the fecality of its matter. The beaches even violate Rio's own standards, which consider water to be polluted if it contains more than 2,500 fecal coliforms in 100 milliliters of water, which is about half a cup. The first results of an AP study a year ago showed viral levels of 1.7 million times what would be considered worrisome in the United States or Europe. Not twice as much, not five times as much. I can't take you to a million times as much. 1.7 million times what would be considered worrisome. And since those initial reports of a year ago, the water has actually gotten filthier. And it's not just the microscopic parts per billion. Let me read from the New York Times today about Guanabara Bay, where sailing events are to take place. Many sailors have been here a number of times during the last two to three years to prepare for the games. And they have said they have become used to dodging floating garbage. Yet the competitors remain surprised at the volume and variety of the garbage, including not only large debris like furniture and shipping containers, but also smaller items like plastic bags that could catch on a rudder and stop a boat in its tracks. So can a shipping container, I would say. A gold medal in water safety in Rio? Forget it. It's unattainable. A silver? Nothing happens during the games that we see and no one dies in the months following. A bronze means sickness and gastric diseases widely reported afterward, but nothing life-threatening. Okay, on to infrastructure. The building of transportation and roads and overpasses still going on. Do you think that Rio would get it done in time for the games? Well, let's think back to 2014, the World Cup. And there, too, was a last-minute infrastructure scandal. And then, too, we were told they'll get it done in time. Well, did they? Here's the BBC report on what happened to what they call a flyover, what we would call an overpass. Terrified passengers next to the commuter bus they had been traveling on, and part of it was crushed by the collapsing flyover. Two people, including the driver of the bus, were killed, many more injured. The concrete and steel bridge was still under construction, though no workers are thought to have been on it at the time of the collapse. It is not yet clear what caused it. People died during the World Cup, even though there were fewer athletes, fewer visitors and less media attention. So things will probably be worse during the Olympics. Here's a Washington Post video. There are questions about shoddy construction. This bike path collapsed, killing two. I would not call that questions about shoddy construction. I'd call that an answer. And the answer is it's shoddy. It's in fact deadly. So infrastructure, a gold medal is no collapses during the game. A silver medal is 
a collapse, but no injuries. A bronze is collapse, some injuries, but at least no death. The Rio Olympics. Unlike many a track event, it's not a very high bar. Like many a track event, expect to see a flop. And that's it for today's show. Mary Wilson, just producer, goes in for exfoliation, but she strangely insists that the dead skin be removed from her body. She doesn't want to keep it with her when she leaves the store, despite scientific evidence. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, washes his dishes at least once a month in the face of government studies that indicate the uselessness of that task. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, has been known to change his sheets, even though the Bureau of Weights and Measures recommends that he just buy a new house. The gist, lather, rinse, repeat, or so big toiletry would have you believe. It's your funeral, sucker. Oomperu depru duperu, and thanks for listening.